This audio is presented by Hacker Noon, where anyone can learn anything about any technology. Operation and Care of Boilers, by Babcock and Wilcox Company. Steam, its generation and use by Babcock and Wilcox Company, is part of the Hacker Noon book series. You can jump to any chapter in this book here. Operation and Care O-F-B-O-I-L-E-R-S-O-P-E-R-A-T-I-O-N and Care of Boilers. The general subject of boiler room practice may be considered from two aspects. The first is that of the broad plant economy, with a suggestion as to the methods to be followed in securing the best economical results with the apparatus at hand and procurable. The second deals rather with specific recommendations which should be followed in plant practice, recommendations leading not only to economy but also to safety and continuity of service. Such recommendations are dictated from an understanding of the nature of steam generating apparatus and its operation, as covered previously in this book. It has already been pointed out that the attention given in recent years to steam generating practice has come with a realization of the wide difference existing between the results being obtained in everyday operation and those theoretically possible. The amount of such attention and regulation given to the steam generating end of a power plant, however, is comparatively small in relation to that given to the balance of the plant, but it may be safely stated that it is here that there is the greatest assurance of a return for the attention given. In the endeavor to increase boiler room efficiency, it is of the UT most importance that a standard basis be set by which average results are to be judged. With the theoretical efficiency obtainable varying so widely, this standard cannot be placed at the highest efficiency that has been obtained regardless of operating conditions. It is better set at the best obtainable results for each individual plant under its conditions of installation and daily operation. With an individual standard so set, present practice can only be improved by a systematic effort to approach this standard. The degree with which operating results will approximate such a standard will be found to be directly proportional to the amount of intelligent supervision given the operation. For such supervision to be given, it is necessary to have not only a full realization of what the plant can do under the best operating conditions but also a full and complete knowledge of what it is doing under all of the different conditions that may arise. What the plant is doing should be made a matter of continuous record so arranged that the results may be directly compared for any period or set of conditions, and where such results vary from the standard set, steps must be taken immediately to remedy the causes of such failings. Such a record is an important check in the losses in the plant. As the size of the plant and the fuel consumption increase, such a check of losses and recording of results becomes a necessity. In the larger plants, the saving of but a fraction of 1% in the fuel bill represents an amount running into thousands of dollars annually, while the expense of the proper supervision to secure such saving is small. The methods of supervision followed in the large plants are necessarily elaborate and complete. In the smaller plants the same methods may be followed on a more moderate scale with a corresponding saving in fuel and an inappreciable increase in either plant organization or expense. There has been within the last few years a great increase in the practicability and reliability of the various types of apparatus by which the records of plant operation may be secured. Much of this apparatus is ingenious and, considering the work to be done, is remarkably accurate. From the delicate nature of some of the apparatus, the liability to error necessitates frequent calibration but even where the accuracy is known to be only within limits of, say, 5% either way, the records obtained are of the greatest service in considering relative results. Some of the records desirable in the apparatus for securing them are given below. Inasmuch as the ultimate measure of the efficiency of the boiler plant is the cost of steam generation, the important records are those of steam generated and fuel consumed records of temperature, analyses, draft and the like, serve as a check on this consumption, indicating the distribution of the losses and affording a means of remedying conditions where improvement is possible. Coal records, 
there are many devices on the market for conveniently weighing the coal used. These are ordinarily accurate within close limits, and where the size or nature of the plant warrants the investment in such a device, its use is to be recommended. The coal consumption should be recorded by some other method than from the weights of coal purchased. The total weight gives no way of dividing the consumption into periods and it will unquestionably be found to be profitable to put into operation some scheme by which the coal is weighed as itis used. In this way, the coal consumption, during any specific period of the plant's operation, can be readily seen. The simplest of such methods which may be used in small plants is the actual weighing on scales of the fuel as it is burrowed into the fire room in the recording of such weights. Aside from the actual weight of the fuel used, it is often advisable to keep other coal records, coal and ash analyses and the like, for the evaporation to be expected will be dependent upon the grade of fuel used in its calorific value, fusibility of its ash, and like factors. The highest calorific value for unit cost is not necessarily the indication of the best commercial results. The cost of fuel is governed by this calorific value only when such value is modified by local conditions of capacity, labyrinth commercial efficiency. One of the important factors entering into fuel cost is the consideration of the cost of ash handling and the maintenance of ash handling apparatus if such be installed. The value of a fuel, regardless of its calorific value, is to be based only on the results obtained in everyday plant operation. Coal and ash analyses used in connection with the amount of fuel consumed are a direct indication of the relation between the results being secured and the standard of results which has been set for the plant. The methods of such analyses have already been described. The apparatus is simple and the degree of scientific knowledge necessary is only such as may be readily mastered by plant operatives. The ash content of a fuel, as indicated from a coal analysis checked against ash weights is actually found in plant operation, acts as a check on grade efficiency. The effect of any saving in the ashes, that is, the permissible ash tow be allowed in the fuel purchased, is determined by the point at which the cost of handling, combined with the falling off in the evaporation, exceeds the saving of fuel cost through the use of poorer coal. Water records, water records with the coal consumption, form the basis for judging the economic production of steam. The methods of securing such records are of later introduction than for coal, but great advances have been made in the apparatus to be used. Here possibly, to a greater extent than in any recording device, are the records of value in determining relative evaporation, that is, an error is rather allowable provided such an error be reasonably constant. The apparatus for recording such evaporation is of two general classes, those measuring water before it is fed to the boiler and those measuring the steam as it leaves. Of the first, the Venturi meter is perhaps the best known, though recently there has come into considerable vogue an apparatus utilizing a weir notch for the measuring of such water. Both methods are reasonably accurate and apparatus of this description has an advantage over one measuring steam in that it may be calibrated much more readily. Of the steam measuring devices, the one in most common use is the steam flow meter provided the instruments are selected for a proper flow, etc. They are of inestimable value in indicating the steam consumption. Where such instruments are placed on the various engine room lines, they will immediately indicate an excessive consumption for any one of the units. With a steam flow meter placed on each boiler, it is possible to fix relatively the amount produced by each boiler and, considered in connection with some of the check records described below, clearly indicate whether its portion of the total steam produced is up to the standard set for the overall boiler room efficiency. Flue gas analysis. The value of a flue gas analysis as a measure of furnace efficiency has already been indicated. There are on the market a number of instruments by which a continuous record of the carbon dioxide in the flue gases may be secured and in general the results so recorded are accurate. 
the limitations of an analysis showing only CO2 and the necessity of completing such an analysis with an ORSA, are like apparatus, and in this way checking the automatic device, have already been pointed out, but where such records are properly checked from time to time and are used in conjunction with a record of flu temperatures, the losses due to excess air or incomplete combustion and the like may be directly compared for any period. Such records act as a means for controlling excess air and also as a check on individual firemen. Where the size of a plant will not warrant the purchase of an expensive continuous CO2 recorder, it is advisable to make analyses of samples for various conditions of firing and to install an apparatus whereby a sample of flue gas covering a period of, say, 8 hours, may be obtained and such a sample after wards analyzed. Temperature records, flue gas temperatures, feed water temperatures and steam temperatures are all taken with recording thermometers, any number of which will, when properly calibrated, give accurate results. A record of flue temperatures is serviceable in checking stack losses and, in general, the cleanliness of the boiler. A record of steam temperatures, where superheaters are used, will indicate excessive fluctuations and lead to an investigation of their cause. Feed temperatures are valuable in showing that the full benefit of the exhaust steam is being derived. Draft regulation. As the capacity of a boiler varies with the combustion rate and this rate with the draft, an automatic apparatus satisfactorily varying this draft with the capacity demands on the boiler will obviously be advantageous. As has been pointed out, any fuel has some rate of combustion at which the best results will be obtained. In a properly designed plant where the load is reasonably steady, the draft necessary to secure such a rate may be regulated automatically. Automatic apparatus for the regulation of draft has recently reached a stage of perfection which in the larger plants at any rate makes its installation advisable. The installation of a draft gauge or gauges is strongly to be recommended and a record of such drafts should be kept as being a check on the combustion rates. An important feature to be considered in the installing of all recording apparatus is its location. Thermometers, draft gauges and flue gas sampling pipes should be so located as to give as nearly as possible an average of the conditions, the gases flowing freely over the ends of the thermometers, couples and sampling pipes. With the location permanent, there is no security that the samples may be considered an average but in any event comparative results will be secured which will be useful in plant operation. The best permanent location of apparatus will vary considerably with the design of the boiler. It may not be out of place to refer briefly to some of the shortcomings found in boiler room practice, with a suggestion as to a means of overcoming them. 1. Street. It is sometimes found that the operating force is not fully acquainted with the boilers and apparatus. Probably the most general of such shortcomings is the fixed idea in the heads of the operatives that boilers run above their rated capacity or operating under a state of strain and that by operating at less than their rated capacity the most economical service is assured, whereas, by determining what a boiler will do, it may be found that the most economical rating under the conditions of the plant will be considerably in excess of the builder's rating. Such ideas can be dislodged only by demonstrating to the operatives what maximum load the boilers can carry showing how the economy will vary with the load and the determining of the economical load for the individual plant in question. Second, stokers. With stoker-fired boilers, it is essential that the operators know the limitations of their stokers as determined by their individual installation. A thorough understanding of the requirements of efficient handling must be insisted upon. The operatives must realize that smokeless stacks are not necessarily the indication of good combustion for, as has been pointed out, Absolute smokelessness is oftentimes secured at an enormous loss in efficiency through excess air. Another feature in stoker-fired plants is in the cleaning of fires. It must be impressed upon the operatives that before the fires are cleaned they should be put into condition for such cleaning. If this cleaning is done at a definite time, regardless of whether the fires are in the best condition for cleaning, 
there will be a great loss of good fuel with the ashes. 3. Road. It is necessary that in each individual plant there be a basis on which to judge the cleanliness of a boiler. From the operative standpoint, it is probably more necessary that there be a thorough understanding of the relation between scale and tube difficulties than between scale and efficiency. It is, of course, impossible to keep boilers absolutely free from scale at all times, but experience in each individual plant determines the limit to which scale can be load to form before tube difficulties will begin or a perceptible falling off in efficiency will take place. With such a limit of scale formation fixed, the operative should be impressed with the danger of allowing it to be exceeded. Fourth, the operative should be instructed as to the losses resulting from excess air due to leaks in the setting and as to losses in efficiency and capacity duetto the bypassing of gases through the setting, that is, not following the pot off the baffles as originally installed. In replacing tubes and in cleaning the heating surfaces, care must be taken not to dislodge baffle brick or tile. Fifth, that an increase in the temperature of the feed reduces the amount of work demanded from the boiler has been shown. The necessity of keeping the feed temperature as high as the quantity of exhaust steam will allow should betherally understood. As an example of this, there was a case brought to our attention where a large amount of exhaust steam was wasted simply because the feed pump showed a tendency to leak if the temperature of feed water was increased above 140 degrees. The amount wasted was sufficient to increase the temperature to 180 degrees but was not utilized simply because of the S-light expense necessary to overhaul the feed pump. The highest return will be obtained when the speed of the feed pumps is maintained reasonably constant for should the pumps run very slowly at times, there may be a loss of the steam from other auxiliaries by blowing off from the heaters. Sixth, with a view to checking steam losses through the useless blowing of safety valves, the operative should be made to realize the great amount of steam that it is possible to get through a pipe of a given size. Oftentimes the fireman feels a sense of security from objections to a drop in steam simply because of the blowing of safety valves, not considering the losses due to such a cause and makes no effort to check this flow either by manipulation of dampers or regulation of fires. The few of the numerous shortcomings outlined above, which may be found in many plants, are almost entirely due to lack of knowledge on the part of the operating crew as to the conditions existing in their own plants and the better performances being secured in others. Such shortcomings can be overcome only by the education of the operatives, the showing of the defects of present methods, and instruction in better methods. Where such instruction is necessary, the value of records is obvious. There is fortunately a tendency toward the employment of a better class of labor in the boiler room, a tendency which is becoming more and more marked as the realization of the possible saving in this end of the plant increases. The second aspect of boiler room management, dealing with specific recommendations as to the care and operation of the boilers, is dictated largely by the nature of the apparatus. Some of the features to be watched in considering this aspect follow. Before placing a new boiler in service, a careful and thorough examination should be made of the pressure parts in the setting. The boiler is erected should correspond in its baffle openings, where baffles are adjustable, with the prints furnished for its erection, and such baffles should be tight. The setting should be so constructed that the boiler is free to expand without interfering with the brickwork. This ability to expand applies also to blow-off and other piping. After erection all mortar and chips of brick should be cleaned from the pressure parts. The tie rod should be set up snug and then slacked slightly until the setting has become thoroughly warm after the first firing. The boiler should be examined internally before starting to ensure the absence of dirt, any foreign material such as waste, and tools. Oil and paint are sometimes found in the interior of a new boiler and where such is the case, a quantity of soda ash should be placed within it, the boiler filled with water to its normal level and a slow fire started. After 12 hours of slow simmering, the fire should be load to die out, 
the boiler cooled slowly and then opened and washed out thoroughly. Such a proceeding will remove all oil and grease from the interior and prevent the possibility of foaming and tube difficulties when the boiler is placed in service. The water column piping should be examined and known to be free and clear. The water level, as indicated by the gauge glass, should be checked by opening the gauge cocks. The method of drying out a brick setting before placing a boiler in operation is described later in the discussion of boiler settings. A boiler should not be cut into the line with other boilers until the pressure within it is approximately that in the steam main. The boiler stop valve should be opened very slowly until it is fully opened. The arrangement of piping should be such that there can be no possibility of water collecting in a pocket between the boiler and the main, from which it can be carried over into the steam line when a boiler is cut in. In regular operation the safety valve and steam gauge should be checked daily. In small plants the steam pressure should be raised sufficiently to cause the safety valves to blow, at which time the steam gauge should indicate the pressure at which the valve is known to be set. If it does not, one is in error and the gauge should be compared with one of known accuracy and any error atons rectified. In large plants such a method of checking would result in losses too great to be load. Here the gauges and valves are ordinarily checked at the time a boiler is cut out, the valves being assured of not sticking by daily instantaneous opening through manipulation by hand of the valve lever. The daily blowing of the safety valve acts not only as a check on the gauge but ensures the valve against sticking. The water column should be blown down thoroughly at least once on every shift and the height of water indicated by the glass checked by the gauge cocks. The bottom blow-offs should be kept tight. These should be opened at least once daily to blow from the mud drum any sediment that may have collected and to reduce the concentration. The amount of blowing down in the frequency is, of course, determined by the nature of the feed water used. In case of low water, resulting either from carelessness or from some unforeseen condition of operation, the essential object to be obtained is the extinguishing of the fire in the quickest possible manner. Where practicable, this is best accomplished by the playing of a heavy stream of water from a hose on the fire. Another method, perhaps not so efficient, but more generally recommended, is the covering of the fire with wet ashes or fresh fuel. A boiler so treated should be cut out of line after such an occurrence and a thorough inspection made to ascertain what damage, if any, has been done before it is again placed in service. The efficiency and capacity depend to an extent very much greater than is ordinarily realized upon the cleanliness of the heating surfaces, both externally and internally, and too much stress cannot be put upon the necessity for systematic cleaning as a regular feature in the plant operation. The outer surfaces of the tubes should be blown free from soot at regular intervals, the frequency of such cleaning periods being dependent upon the class of fuel used. The most efficient way of blowing soot from the tubes is by means of a steam lance with which all parts of the surfaces are reached and swept clean. There are numerous soot-blowing devices on the market which are designed to be permanently fixed within the boiler setting. Where such devices are installed, there are certain features that must be watched to avoid trouble. If there is any leakage of water of condensation within the setting coming into contact with the boiler tubes, it will tend toward corrosion, or if in contact with the heated brickwork will cause rapid disintegration of the setting. If the steam jets are so placed that they impinge directly against the tubes, erosion may take place. Where such permanent soot blowers are installed, too much care cannot be taken to guard against these possibilities. Internally, the tubes must be kept free from scale, the ingredients of which a study of the chapter on the impurities of water indicates are present in varying quantities in all feed waters. Not only has the presence of scale a direct bearing on the efficiency and capacity to be obtained from a boiler but its absence is an assurance against the burning out of tubes. In the absence of a blowpipe action of the flames, it is impossible to burn a metal surface where water is in intimate contact with that surface. In stoker-fired plants where a blast is used, 
and the furnace is not properly designed, there is a danger of a blowpipe action if the fires are allowed to get too thin. The rapid formation of steam at such points of localized heat may lead to the burning of the metal of the tubes. Any formation of scale on the interior surface of a boiler keeps the water from such a surface and increases its tendency to burn. Particles of loose scale that may become detached will lodge at certain points in the tubes and localize this tendency at such points. It is because of the danger of detaching scale and causing loose flakes to be present that the use of a boiler compound is not recommended for the removal of scale that has already formed in a boiler. This question is covered in the treatment of feed waters. If oil is allowed to enter a boiler, its action is the same as that of scale in keeping the water away from the metal surfaces. It has been proven beyond a doubt that a very large percentage of tube losses is due directly to the presence of scale which, in many instances, has been so thin as to be considered of no moment, and the importance of maintaining the boiler heating surfaces in a clean condition cannot be emphasized too strongly. The internal cleaning can best be accomplished by means of an air or water-driven turbine, the cutter heads of which may be changed to handle various thicknesses of scale. Fig. 41 shows a turbine cleaner with various cutting heads, which has been found to give satisfactory service. Where a water-driven turbine is used, it should be connected to a pump which will deliver at least 120 gallons per minute per cleaner at 150 pounds pressure. This pressure should never be less than 90 pounds if satisfactory results are desired. Where an air-driven turbine is used, the pressure should be at least 100 pounds, though 150 pounds is preferable and sufficient water should be introduced into the tube to keep the cutting head cool and assist in washing down the scale as it is chipped off. Where scale has been allowed to accumulate to an excessive thickness, the work of removal is difficult and tedious. Where such a heavy scale is of sulfate formation, its removal may be assisted by filling the boiler with water to which there has been added a quantity of soda ash, a bucketful to each drum, starting a low fire and allowing the water to boil for 24 hours with no pressure on the boiler. It should be cooled slowly, drained, and the turbine cleaner used immediately, as the scale will tend to harden rapidly under the action of the air. Where oil has been allowed to get into a boiler, it should be removed before placing the boiler in service, as described previously where reference is Medetto its removal by boiling out with soda ash. Where pitting or corrosion is noted, the parts affected should be carefully cleaned and the interior of the drums should be painted with white zinc if the boiler is to remain idle. The cause of such action should be immediately ascertained and steps taken to apply the proper remedy. When making an internal inspection of a boiler or when cleaning the interior heating surfaces, great care must be taken to guard against the possibility of steam entering the boiler in question from other boilers on the same line either through the careless opening of the boiler stop valve or some auxiliary valve or from an open blow-off. Bad accidents through scalding have resulted from the neglect of this precaution. Boiler brickwork should be kept pointed up and all cracks filled. The boiler baffles should be kept tight to prevent bypassing of any gases through the heating surfaces. Boilers should be taken out of service at regular intervals for cleaning and repairs. When this is done, the boiler should be cooled slowly, and when possible, be allowed to stand for 24 hours after the fire is drawn before opening. The cooling process should not be hurried by allowing cold air to rush through the setting as this will invariably cause trouble with the brickwork. When a boiler is off for cleaning, a careful examination should be made of its condition, both external and internal, and all leaks of steam, water and air through the setting stopped. If water is allowed to come into contact with brickwork that is heated, rapid disintegration will take place. If water is allowed to come into contact with the metal of the boiler when out of service, there is a likelihood of corrosion. If a boiler is to remain idle for some time, its deterioration may be much more rapid than when in service. If the period for which it is to be laid off is not to exceed three months, 
it may be filled with water while out of service. The boiler should first be cleaned thoroughly, internally and externally, all soot and ashes being removed from the exterior of the pressure parts and any accumulation of scale removed from the interior surfaces. It should then be filled with water, to which five or six pails of soda ash have been added. As low fire started to drive the air from the boiler, the fire drawn in the boiler pumped full. In this condition it may be kept for some time without bad effects. If the boiler is to be out of service for more than three months, it should be emptied, drained and thoroughly dried after being cleaned. A tray of quick lime should be placed in each drum, the boiler closed, the grates covered and a quantity of quick lime placed on top of the covering. Special care should be taken to prevent air, steam or water leaks into the boiler or onto the pressure parts to obviate danger of corrosion. About Hacker Noon Book Series, we bring you the most important technical, scientific, and insightful public domain books. This book is part of the public domain. Babcock and Wilcox Company, 2007. Steam, its generation and use. Urbana, Illinois. Project Gutenberg. R-E-T-R-I-E-V-E-D-H-T-T-P-S colon slash slash www. Gutenberg. Org. Cash. EPUB. 22657. PG 22657 images. HTML This ebook is for the use of anyone anywhere at no cost and with almost no restrictions whatsoever. You may copy it, give it away or reuse it under the terms of the Project Gutenberg license included with this ebook or online at www.gutenberg.org. Located at https colon slash slash www.gutenberg.org. Policy. License. HTML. Thank you for listening to this Hackernoon story, read by Artificial Intelligence. Visit hackernoon.com to read, write, learn and publish.